When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. This is the CHGO Cubs podcast presented by PointsBet. Use code CHGO when you sign up to get two risk-free bets up to $2,000. Good morning, everyone. My name is Corey. I am joined as always by Brendan and we are coming to you on Monday. It is September 5th. Hopefully you are enjoying the remaining hours of your long weekend. If you're coming to us from work, then also happy Monday to you as well. Unfortunately, Brendan, uh, we are greeting everyone on this Monday morning with a sweep at the hands Mm. of the St. Louis Cardinals and Sunday's game. uh, Though it was the last time that we should see him uh, playing out in a fashion that takes me back to my teenage years watching the Chicago Cubs. I'm not even going to mention his name. I'm just glad that it's over. Of course, it ends in that fashion, but I'm not even going to mention it. We're, we're, we're done with that court. Well, I don't think that Albert Pujols is on the no-name list like some people He's who not. have played second base for the Cubs. But what? I mean, come on. Pujols, then that? I thought that what was funny. Here? You set nah, me up I mean, for it. I took the opportunity. I did, but I mean, geez, Corey. Uh, so yes, the Cardinals winning on Sunday via an Albert Pujols home run. Uh, that is the second game, Brendan, in just a couple weeks that the Cubs have lost. Uh, the the big blow coming from yeah. Albert Pujols. So unfortunately, in what is his last season and, and to, on Sunday, his last game against the Cubs for his career, um, he, you know, had a, a couple last blows left in him. So I don't think uh, most of us, uh, if not all of us, will be sad to see him go. So nope. uh, we have plenty to talk about from this series, despite uh, three L's from Friday to Sunday. We've got some good on the player side. Marcus Stroman was fantastic on Sunday. He does not factor into the decision. Uh, we also have some Cubs that are struggling that we want to talk about a little bit. We did have another outing from Jeremiah Estrada. want to follow up with you, Brendan, after you and Brian went uh, so deep into what he was doing and the stuff that he was bringing. Uh, not not as electrifying of an outing over the weekend, so just want to kind of... Um, you know, put all of that into perspective. I think it's good after we gush over what a guy is doing to, you know, respond when uh, the second outing isn't exactly the same. So uh, that is uh, what we have. You know, generally, Brendan, it is, I I will say, a little disappointing because we were in that stretch where the Cubs had won, I think it was five series in a row, plus that game against the Orioles. So it was a really nice stretch. And now we have the opposite. So we, we talked about 
you know, Nico mentioning how important it was to win and, you know, showcase this last stretch for the the next the team next year. And Jed kind of talked about that too. And unfortunately, you know, now we're in a little bit of a stretch here where the uh, series results and the overall results are not quite as fun as they were for that period. To be expected a little bit when you have Keegan go on the I.L., Justin on the I.L., the bullpen is new, new faces, Manny Rodriguez, Yolman's getting more of a look, Estrada's out there getting significant higher leverage moments, even though it's the middle of the game. So this was to be expected. It's part of the growing pains, but we still have three and a half weeks left and a lot of talent on this team that we need to see. Yeah, that is true. Uh, so let's just get through this box score real quick, and then we can dive into some of the players that we wanted to talk about. On Friday, it was an 8 to nothing loss to the St. Louis Cardinals. The starter in this one was Adrian Sampson. Five innings, four hits, two runs, two walks, four strikeouts. So a better start from Sampson. He had a, had a couple bumps in the road there. Uh, you know, same story with him. It's it's another solid outing, um, an inning short of a quality start. He does throw 101 pitches across those five innings, but he's got a sub-4 ERA on the season. And for a guy that has played a couple different roles for this team, been up and down, and you know now getting these kind of uh, late season spot starts. He's he's been a nice uh, a nice piece yeah. for the Cubs here. Uh, you and Brian talked in that last episode about Javier Assad. He goes an inning, two hits, one run, no walks, and two strikeouts coming in relief of Adrian Sampson in this one. And the Cubs uh, did not have any runs to describe. So that was it. Some key performances in this one, though. Uh, Nick Madrigal and Seiya Suzuki both go two for four uh, with a strikeout each at the top of the order. They hit one, two in this game and both go two for four. So that is uh, nice to see. Other than that, a forgetful one on Friday evening. Saturday, it was an eight to four loss uh, for the Cubs. Uh, you know, Brendan, generally starting the series where you give up eight runs in the first two games, not not, not a recipe for success. Not good. Yeah. No. So uh, in this one, it was Drew Smiley, two and a third, five hits, seven runs, three walks, three strikeouts. Finally, Brendan, he gives us a start where teams that didn't trade for him at the deadline can go, whoo. Well, it's kind of your fault. <laughs> you were all over Smiley last episode, and he follows up looking like that, Corey. I've been so over. I've been, I've been talking positively about him for a long time. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, he had been quite, quite good since coming back, uh, I think, just before the trade deadline. And this is that one start where it's like, oh, okay. You know, we didn't uh, pass up on trading for <laughs> the best starter post-deadline or something. Right. Um, still a 3.84 ERA on the season for Drew Smiley. So this, uh, this one clunker here, not going to bring him down. Following him was the aforementioned Jeremiah Estrada going two-thirds of an inning in this one, one hit, one run, one walk, and no strikeout. So not a disaster, but do just want to talk about some of that stuff, the the fastball velocity, uh, the walk, just again, to get your perspective. Yeah, sure. uh, the Cubs getting their four runs in this game on a Franmil Reyes single in the first and a Rafael Ortega single that made it three to nothing. So the Cubs had a nice three-run lead that they uh, blew uh, by the third inning, and it was eight to four by the time, or excuse me, eight to three by the time we left the third inning, uh, and then Franmil Reyes added the Cubs' fourth run in the fifth. So a nice game for Reyes here. Seiya Suzuki uh, also following his two for four game on Friday with a two for four 
outing on Saturday. Ian Happ, two for three in this game. Fran Mill, two for four with two RBIs in this game. And Rafael Ortega, two for three with two RBIs in this game. Those are some of the numbers of note. And then Sunday, we got a late start in this one due to some rain in St. Louis, uh, and not a lot of action outside of Marcus Stroman and Miles Mikolas until the eighth inning when it was Brandon Hughes in relief of Marcus Stroman. They decided to pitch to Albert Pujols with a runner on base, yada, yada, yada. The Cardinals won two to nothing. So uh, that is number 695 for Albert Pujols, and I believe I read that he has the second most home runs of his career against the Chicago Cubs. Do you know who he has his most career home runs against, Brendan? Milwaukee, Cincinnati. Houston. Houston. I was actually kind of surprised by that. Well, that makes sense. Former NL Central team goes to the uh, AL West, so the most times he's faced them. Right. Makes sense. Yes, I, I, yeah, I guess that's not as surprising as I would have thought. Yeah. Um, yeah. And they, I don't think they, in the in that tally, they don't count that one off of Brad Lidge that went to the moon. So no, they don't. Um, it was two to nothing. Marcus Stroman was really good in this game, though. Seven innings, four hits, no runs, no walks, and five strikeouts. A three point three seven ERA for Marcus Stroman on the season. That was ninety eight pitches uh, for Marcus. Look good. Yes, and we will. Uh, we we can jump right into him. There wasn't too much to discuss on the offensive side. Just following up, say I did have an offer on Sunday, but overall a very nice weekend with those uh, two games of two for four. Fran Mil Reyes, one for two with a walk in this game, so he had a nice weekend for himself, uh, and that was it. The Cubs only had two hits, so the other hit coming off of the bat of Christopher Morel, uh, which was a much-needed one, and we will uh, touch mm-hmm. on that a little more in a bit. But let's start with Marcus Stroman, Brendan. Uh, a really solid seven innings today, and you know, the, the type of game that... In, in the context of this season, it you know we haven't had too many of these games, those, those kind of big games, but this this was in a vacuum what you sign a guy like Marcus Stroman to do, right? You're on the road, you're at risk of getting swept by a division rival. Again, the, the, con, the meaning to the Cubs is not really there at this point, but that scenario is generally what you turn to someone like Marcus Stroman to say, hey, the buck stops here, right? We, we've been losing. We don't want to get swept by the Cardinals. Go out there and, and toss us a game that prevents us from getting swept. Yeah. He kept up his end of the bargain, uh, but the offense couldn't score. Overall on the season, he has an identical 3.37 ERA and FIP, which is, I, I always like when it's, you know, symmetrical. Uh, like that. And, you know, again, like he's had some clunkers in there, Brendan, but overall his numbers very much in line with his career numbers. His career ERA is 3.66, a 3.64 FIP, and he is right there on those numbers, as I just read. He is. Um, you know, you get into some of the other peripherals and stuff. He's he's looking like he has it his career. Some of them are his career best numbers. So he has been really good, and he was really good again on Sunday. He was. He's changed a few things in his repertoire since around July. It's actually mentioned on the broadcast today, but if you've been watching Start to Star, you can kind of see the obvious change, and that's to a sinker. So when the season started, one of the areas they they wanted to tweak with Stroman was flipping the sinker of four-seam usage and having his secondary stuff play off of his four-seam. Marcus was saying, well, 
I didn't have the feel for my secondary pitches leading with the four seam. So he's essentially flipped it and he's throwing sinkers about two times for every five pitches. He was doing that much less from April through most of June and a little bit of July where he's throwing basically leading with the four seam. So since then, you kind of see the numbers normalize. There's been a few, I guess, clunkers, of course, but he's had several starts now where he's going deeper in the games and his repertoire is mirroring that what we saw from last year. And if you just look at the location in which he throws his pitches, every single pitch type, sinker, cutter, splitter, uh, four seam, it's a mirror image from last year. So you can definitely tell since changing that sinker, his command, his ability to locate where he wants to hit the edges has looked very similar from years past. So it's it sounds as if it's more of a psychological thing, perhaps. It, it might be a mechanical thing where if you're doing something different with your four seam, it's altering your secondary mechanics somehow, your comfort level, whatever it is. But you see the effects and you're seeing him be comfortable. And I do commend the Cubs for trying to change something to unlock something that they thought was potentially useful. But this is what happens. You go into the pitch lab, you see something on the computer screen, you see something on the slower Rapsodo cameras, and you try something. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't work, but it's about that process. It's about trying to get the most out of a a particular pitcher and trying to get the most out of every single one of these pitchers pitch types. But sometimes comfort levels and sequencing and those in-game environments are hard to emulate. And for Stroman, that ended up being the case where he wanted to go back to his comfort zone. And that's what he's been doing with that stinker. Yeah. And I, I mean, I feel really confident. I think we, we talk about every... We've always, we always have yes. been, though. It's never, it's never changed. Yes. I And what I was getting at is towards next year. As we're looking towards next yeah. year, we have, you know, we know that the Cubs need to add to this rotation. But I think seeing what Stroman has been able to do when he has been healthy, when he has been, you know, had a, a start or two coming back from COVID or, you know, whatever injury had kept him out for a little bit. He is exactly the guy, I think, that the Cubs signed as advertised. And as we head into next year, I don't know where he's going to slot in the Cubs rotation. You know, whether it's uh, number one, number two, number three, that depends on how aggressively the Cubs pursue starting pitching. But I feel very confident that they are going to get a very good season out of Marcus Stroman based on what he we have seen from him in 2022. I, I think so. He's always been a lock in my mind. The only concern I have in that I had earlier in the year was his health, especially with that shoulder injury. When that was announced, I'm like, oh no, like this, this could be bad. Whenever you hear about shoulders and pitchers, my mind freaks out because you think of scenarios like we saw with Kyle this year. But even coming back from that, the velo has been good. The pitch type has been, and the sequencing has been exactly what you expect. He's a guy. You can slot him in the top tier of the rotation, but I fully expect in next year's rotation, Stroman will be a 30 guy. You lock it in, 30 star guy, you lock it in, and you don't think twice about it. And that is such a luxury to have in this rotation full of kind of like what ifs right now, especially with maybe Steele and Keegan going through those late season bumps in the road where perhaps fatigue and stamina are playing a key factor. You want someone like Stroman where you know for sure this is a guy you can lock in. Absolutely. And this was also, I think, a very kind of signature 
game plan, you know, roadmap to a Marcus Stroman start, right? He got eight ground outs, mm-hmm. three fly outs, five strikeouts, doesn't walk anybody, just scatters four I mean, hits across seven innings. That, when you're looking— Good defense, too, on the mound. Yes. Well, we know he's an incredible athlete. Yes, uh, one of the best, know, if not the best. Just like you, Brennan. Yeah, just like me. Thank yes. you, Corey. I appreciate um, that. Reflexes like a cat. But, you know, this <laughs> yeah. is this is like a—I don't want to say vintage because he's only been here for a year, but— in terms of his career and just like what a really, really solid kind of standard Marcus Stroman start looks like, this is kind of it, right? He, he gets the other team to beat the ball into the ground. The defense converts those into outs, doesn't walk eyes, strikes out a few batters here and there. And overall, you know, again, like he did his part on Sunday to try to help this team avoid getting swept. Unfortunately, it, uh, yeah, does not does not play out that way but this was a really good start uh from Marcus Stroman and you know Brendan again like you look at the underlying numbers and they're all just good right ERA and FIP equal his expected FIP 3.52 like you just go and look at some of his seasons with the Mets or the Blue Jays like this is right in there with some of the best work that he has done in seasons where he's pitched this many innings. Okay, quick break here from our sponsor, Points Bet. Points Bet Sportsbook is counting down the days until the football season with a new offer every day until the season kicks off. From now until September 8th, Points Bet Power Hour will unlock a new daily offer from 12 to 1 p.m. Central. Sign up for Points Bet now using code CHGO to also get risk free bets up to 2000 bucks. Don't miss out on your chance to get. Daily access to free bets, boosted odds, and so much more now through September 8th. But that's not it. If you make a $51 or more first-time deposit, you'll receive a free CH. Geo membership, which unlocks all of our web content, and you'll even get a free shirt of your choice from the CHGO Locker. Download the PointsBet app today and use code CHGO to take advantage of this limited time offer. Don't just bet, live your bet live with PointsBet. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants to help, call 100Gambler for crisis counseling and referral services. Our next partner has a product I've been using literally every day. I started taking AG1 a few months ago because I wanted to start my day with complete nutrition. I wanted something fast because I'm not a big breakfast guy. I've been on this for about a month. I do love it. This AG1 does not taste super healthy. It has a mild tropical taste. I actually look forward to it each and every morning. What is this stuff? It's just one scoop of AG1 and you're absorbing 75 high quality vitamins, minerals, whole food sourced superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens to help you start your day right. This special blend of ingredients supports your gut health, your nervous system, your immune system, your energy, recovery, focus, aging, all of these things, recording podcasts late at night, recording podcasts after the Cubs get swept by the Cardinals. I get a noticeable boost of energy no matter what. So I take a first thing in the morning on an empty stomach. It's lifestyle friendly, whether you're keto, paleo, vegan, gluten-free, or dairy-free, you're all good to go with AG1. Just know you're investing in an all-in-one nutritional insurance for three dollars or less a day. 
It's recommended by professional athletes and has more than 7,000 five-star reviews. So right now is time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition. It's just one scoop and a cup of water every day. That's it. No need for a million different pills and supplements to look out for your health. To make it easily easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com backslash CHGO Cubs. Again, that is athleticgreens.com backslash CHGO Cubs to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. All right, Brendan, let's get into some slumping cubs. No. Not exactly everybody's favorite subject matter, uh, but yeah. for some of these guys, I so, you know, we've we've paid a good bit of attention to guys like Seiya Suzuki and his ups and downs. He had a nice weekend as we talked about. We've looked at Ian Happ a lot and a lot of the great work that he's done throughout this season. Um, you know, he had an up and down weekend in this one, a couple 0 for 3s, but a nice 2 for 3 on Saturday. We kind of know where those guys are at heading into September and especially for next year. One guy who I feel like we have not talked about in a while is Christopher Morell. And things for Christopher, Brendan, lately have not been going very well, as much as it pains me to say that. Now, on the season overall, his numbers, especially for a 23-year-old rookie, which I'm, I'm going to say here because it's very important in this conversation. We are merely looking at a stretch that has not been so great for Christopher, but his overall season has been quite good. And it's always a good time to remind you that he's 23 years old and this is his first go at Major League Baseball. So that is a very important preface when we're just talking about a late season slump that he's in. Uh, still a 109 WRC plus on the season, 326 weighted on base average, 309 OBP, 442 slug. But the last 30 games or so, that is the uh, sample that MLB.com defaults to. So that's what we're going to go with. Uh, Those last 30 games have not been very good, Brendan. Uh, A 157 batting average, a 185 on base percentage, a 315 slugging percentage. Those 30 games comprise 89 at-bats, just 14 hits in that span, four home runs, three walks, and 33 strikeouts. So none of that is great. Right, Brendan? No. Um, So I will turn it to you. Uh, He did have a hit in the game on Sunday, went one for three in that game. And again, overall, you know, 246 average, 751 OPS. He's playing all over the field. The Cubs clearly, you know, moving him around, taking opportunities to play him, taking opportunities to get him uh, defensive reps at other positions. But what is driving this slump from your perspective, if you're looking at Christopher Morell, and how do you feel about it uh, with about, you know, a month left in the season? And if you kind of stopped things right now and just looked at the overall picture, I think you would be pretty pleased for how your 23-year-old rookie, who probably wasn't necessarily in the plans to stick all this time when he first came up, like, I I think it's been pretty good, but this slump is not. It's not good. I... This is going to be a fascinating offseason for 
a variety of different reasons from the pitching to the positional side, but also because you have this group of young guys, some of whom have succeeded at an unexpected level, including Christopher Morrell, who leads that pack. So the question becomes, what do you do with this? What do you do with this sample? What do you do with this success that he's had? And do you want to take a risk in assuming that this is going to continue and give Morrell 450 plus plate appearances for next season? That's going to be the weird perhaps uncomfortable discussion that we'll have throughout the offseason. And where I land on that now, I don't have a good feel for it. We still need to see how September goes. Uh, in this current moment, it's not surprising, I think. We, we knew with Christopher, the athleticism jumps off right away. And we knew that he hits the ball extremely hard. He's a fast guy, super fast twitch. He kind of fits that Javi-esque unicorn type player where there's not many like him. For Christopher, he's adapted so well, and that's not going to really show up in like a reliable sample because by definition, adapting so well means you had a previous stretch that was also extreme. So it's hard to project players like that as a result. Now, recently, he's gone through some stretches here where he's being overmatched, and you can look across the board about all these different pitch types kind of beating him. And the biggest pitch type that's beating him right now is a fastball. So over the last, what is this, almost 100 plate appearances, his run value against fastballs is the worst among all other pitch types compared to sliders, curves, changeups, all of that. So he's being beat by hard stuff. He's also being beat by breaking stuff. He's being beat by all pitches, but it appears as if the most damaging pitch type against him has been four seamers. And so as a result right now, he has the worst whiff rate in the league. And I think that is I think that is concerning. I think that should be concerning. Now, does this mean it's going to last in the future? No, because as we've talked about, he's adapted and he's gone through stretches where, especially compared to last season, the discipline, the chase rate has been such a marked improvement. So this to me suggests he still has adjustments to go. And if he's able to hit and make contact around, let's say, 68 to 70% of the time with that power, you assume he can be a Chris Taylor-esque player. Just right now, you can't be making contact around 60% of the time, which is what he's doing, which is what Patrick Wisdom did last season, and which is what Patrick Wisdom approved upon where he had stable success this season. One other note that I want to get your opinion on this too, Corey. Uh, with Morrell, what I really like, what I really want to see dialing in is his spray chart. If I like I've been watching this throughout the year and I didn't really think much of it. He's a young guy, but the majority of his doubles are down the left field line. Like all but three of his doubles are to the right shoulder of the third baseman, either in the air as a line drive or just past the third baseman on a grounder. And he has multiple doubles. He has, I think, a little over, what is this, 15 doubles almost. And again, most of those just completely down the line. And this reminds me of what we saw Chris Bryant during his rookie year, where Bryant also was pulling the ball like crazy down the left field line. But ideally, you want to see Morrell drive those balls in the gap, going from the left field gap, the right field gap. I think he has it in him. He has home runs into those gaps. It's just a matter of being consistent with that. So how do you get someone to do that? I have no idea. Uh, how do you get someone to make more contact? I also have no idea. But one other small tidbit, 
I don't see that two-strike approach being implemented that we saw from earlier on, where he's not taking much of like a stride. The, the, the depth in his batting stance is much lower during two strikes. I'm not really seeing that conscious b-hack that we saw earlier in the year. And maybe this is similar to what we've had discussed with Seiya, where you go through these peaks and valleys, and Morel perhaps maybe even more so because he is younger. But this is still an adjustment growing process. I do think you have to weigh the development of someone like him versus supplementing your team in a competitive season like next year. That will be a difficult task to maneuver. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, of course, we still have about a month left. So there's a plenty big sample, you know, we're talking about a 30 game sample. Um, you know, and you still will have a, a pretty sizable one in similar size over this, uh, you know, final stretch of the season here. Um, I, I think right now I would be looking at him as a sort of versatile utility uh, type guy, right? Um, where I don't know that if I'm Jed, when I'm looking at this offseason, I'm going to pursue the targets that I want, okay. right? We've talked about Nico Horner in this context. We've talked about Nick Madrigal in this context. We even talked about Fran Mil Reyes in the context of, of the DH, right? If I'm Jed, if there's players I want that are available, I'm going to go get them. And I'm going to maneuver everything after that, right? I, I don't think that so you any don't, you of those— You don't think Morel is like, like, like stopping any move at all? Yeah, no. Okay. If they if they like Morel at third, you know we've seen him play there um, a, a good bit in in you know the the sort of recent stretch here. Um, played is, there on Friday. Is, played there on. Isn't on that Sunday. an indictment though? Like some fans will perceive what you're saying as well. You don't trust him then, right? No, no. I think I think he's 23 years old, and this is his rookie season. Yeah. And I think that you know, you have to allow for a lot of the stuff that you're talking about, right? You know, it's the same as when we talk about Seiya Suzuki, right? There's ebbs and flows. And it seems recently that Seiya's made some adjustments and, and found a way to sort of settle in to more of what we expected to see from him, which is why you have a weekend where he has multiple games with multiple hits. Um, Morell has had stretches where he has been electrifying, right? I mean, there's been periods of the season where he had, what, a 130-something WRC plus, right? Mm-hmm. So, I think you have to allow this for a rookie, but I think expecting, I I don't see that as an indictment. I think getting to a place at the end of a 23-year-old rookie season where you're like, oh yeah, he's our starting third baseman, I think that would be uh, insane, right? That would be amazing, (laughs) right? Like it it happened with someone like Chris Bryant, but that was a completely different situation. And just, you know, the the pedigree and the trajectory and all of that, like that's not where Morell was at. I think the fact that we, I feel confident at this moment that he has shown us enough that he is a part of next year's roster, right? And I think getting fairly significant playing time, you know, be that, I don't know, 400 plate appearances scattered across different positions, or if they feel like he, you know, really leans into one position, that's fine too. Um, But I think it would be, am am I wrong about that? I feel like that would be wild to have gotten to a point by the end of September where you're like, if you're Jed Hoyer, you're thinking, you know what? I was going to go out and get a third baseman, but forget it, right? (laughs) This, this, you know, he'll be 24 in May. 
uh, or excuse me, in June of next year. Like this guy, lock it in. Like I, I think that's. I don't think it's an indictment to say that we we didn't get there. Uh, and you know, look, if he has a hot and you know a hot September, like finishes with like a one twenty something WRC plus, like maybe you do feel comfortable doing that. But I, I think it, it's all just to say like adjustments. Uh, ebbs and flows and you know stretches like this where the k rate is higher you know some of those things that you don't want to see are kind of spiking i it's to be expected right i don't think there's anything wrong with it i don't think it necessarily has to raise alarm bells as long as it's something that they're aware of and that they are you know trying to course correct but i think this is all par for the course and the overall product that we've seen from morell in his rookie season has been very very good and quite encouraging for the future very, very encouraging. I don't think anyone expected Morel to put up these numbers at all. As you said earlier on, he has a, a 109 WRC plus in the bulk sample. If you apply exactly what he's done this season to next year, I will be thrilled. Just repeating what he's done, I yeah. will be thrilled. The question is, the can't can he do that? And right now, you look at some of the early projections, they like steamer, uh, uh, or zips or whatever, I imagine they're probably going to put them around a 90 to 95 WRC plus for next season. And this this is because of that K-rate. This is because he has a propensity to strike out. So for me, in the next four weeks, I would like to see that whiff rate go down. I don't expect it. I, I expect this to be a continuation into next season. And in my mind, it's how do you give Morrell at-bats while also hopefully trying to win the division? Because we've, see, we've seen that be difficult in years past. And this is me assuming we're actually going to go out there and get guys for next season. But just assuming that does happen, we've seen development of guys in the past kind of, kind of stall a little bit. Even Ian Happ is a great example. Even Schwarber is a great example. I I hope that doesn't happen to Morrell because I think he needs a consistent playing time. I think he needs to get these consistent at-bats to get beyond some of these adjustments. And also, too, to your to your point, like would I expect him to be the starting third baseman? I, I honestly think there are some fans that, that wanted this. To, I mean, of course they wanted this to happen. I think there are some fans that may have thought earlier on this could happen and i and that's kind of like a greedy very optimistic sense but you see other teams across the league who get these guys kind of surprise you and become stable players and i i do imagine there's a a sect of fans that thought maybe this would happen to the cubs maybe some some guy kind of breaks out makes an adjustment and becomes a staple in this lineup when I and I think it still can. I think it's your point uh, toward the end there that is the the question, right? If you're making a ton of very aggressive moves next off season to be competitive, uh, you know, or beyond that, right, in the NL Central and beyond, you know, then you're going to have to ask yourself these these questions, right? Can we allow him to develop in the way that he needs to, while also bringing in all these guys, ensuring that they're getting playing time at the positions that you're signing them to play and probably paying them a lot of money or trading a lot to get them, whatever it ends up being. And how confident are you in that? If they're aiming for less than that, then you'd certainly have the, the window to do that. And maybe that is what happens, right? Yeah. Um, 
I feel very confident in Christopher Morrell, if I'm being honest with you. Um, I know he's got some adjustments to make here. And defensively, I, you know. too. Not to cut you off there, but sure. he has, there, there are some throwing inaccuracies, although the arm strength is off the charts, but you kind of see that longer arm action at third base. You do see the quick first step, which is great, but there are, also, there are some defensive adjustments he has to make as well. Yeah, no, absolutely. But I, in terms of if if the Cubs are going into next year, attempting to be, whatever. I the, the part of the annoying part about like what? the way that the like Cubs front office and like ownership has handled this is I don't know how to like talk about what they're gonna do. <laughs> you know, they 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 don't want us using some words. They use the word competitive this off season that didn't happen. So like, what does that mean? It gets very confusing to just like talk about what they're going to do. Have, they, like, have, they have to spend money, Corey. It, the, my, my, the point I was getting at okay. is that I feel confident that if this team is in a position to actually meaningfully compete for a playoff spot, be that a wild card spot in this expanded playoff era or in what is, you know, not usually a great NL Central, right? I feel confident that Morell can make the adjustments necessary to be a piece for that team, right? Right now on the season, he's at 350 plate appearances. I think something in that range, maybe closer to 400, maybe more than that if things go really well, right? I think he can do that, and I think that he can be a really nice and valuable piece for a more competitive version of the Chicago Cubs. And I think the stuff you're pointing out absolutely fair, right? And, you know, when you see a slump like this that's, you know, 30-plus games, it's worth digging into. Uh, but I, I, I again, want to reiterate, though, like, he's come up and he's 23, I right? Like, that's when these adjustments kind of should be happening. He made a pretty big jump, right? You know? Yeah. I, he was in Double A for a hundred games in 2021. A little bit of you know time in Triple A in 2021 too, and then started this year in Double A for 28 games. But besides that, you know those were big jumps. 2019, yeah. this guy was in A ball, I know. right? So well, he's that's 23 what, years old. Well, that's what gives me hope is because he made that jump and he still yeah, has. I, I I didn't mean that to, yeah. to cut you off real quick. I didn't mean that to suggest that you don't think that I'm just reiterating like yeah I think mm. like guys that are his age making these big jumps they're gonna have some pretty yeah. like kind of daunting adjustments to make and that's kind of what he's staring at for sure before this ad break here the like when he was coming up and having success earlier in the season his chase rate was so encouraging around like 20 to 22 percent and then his contact rate was in the high 60 percentage uh, it was around 70 for a little bit of time. So I'm thinking as that's happening, oh my God, he just made these drastic changes where maybe he's going to be this ultra type, not ultra, but above average uh, disciplined hitter. And he still is showcasing that. Like his chase rate is still in the 57th percentile. That's still great, but it's just not quite what we saw earlier on. And that's that's to be expected. But it's that period when he jumped from double weight to the major leagues and he had that chase rate jumping off the charts and the contact looking as if it was changed and you saw the mechanics go with that that's where I'm dialed in because that jump was massive so what's the next jump from here to next season to two seasons could it be possible well I think it could be based on what he's doing but it's a matter of 
could and if versus what's to be expected. And what's to be expected, most guys can't do this. Most guys can't do this that fast. And so if you want to have a competitive team, you have to weigh the likelihood of him being that extreme guy who breaks those types of instances, those age curves. And maybe he can do that. It will be, it will be a difficult conversation to have, but he is, he is a unique player. And if this ends up being the case where he makes those adjustments and he's starting most of the games next year, then I will not be surprised. All right. So another break here from a new sponsor, Pins and Aces. Pins and Aces is the official golf apparel partner of CHGO. We love our Pins and Aces gear and get tons of compliments on and off the course. They are a family-owned golf and apparel business. They make amazing polos, hats, golf bags, and even your favorite beer sleeve, an innovative product that allows you to store seven beers right inside your golf bag and keep drinks cold the entire round. Check out pinsandaces.com and use code CHGO to receive 15% off your first order and get free shipping. That's pinsandaces.com. All right, Brendan. So don't don't quit the show. I know. I might hear this up. I know. Okay. Yeah. Don't quit on I me. might. I might. Uh, but if we're also looking at 30 game samples, it's worse if I shorten the sample, but don't it's still not good in 30 games. Uh, 106 at bats, a 245 average, a 304 on base, and a 349 slugging, which by my quick math, Brendan, uh, is a 653 OPS, which is not good. Uh, that's, I'm gonna, I feel like I should whisper it, but uh, that is no, Nico Horner's last is. 30 games. It is Nico. Cool. Um, and so... I, I do, you know, as I preface with Christopher Morell, I, I do want to preface here in that part of looking at stretches like this when players have this, especially the way that, you know, Brendan and I do these episodes uh, after, you know, three or four games in a particular series, is just to keep a, a check on everything, right? Morell, Nico, when it was say, happening with Saya. At times, it'll happen with other guys. It doesn't mean anybody's panicking or concerned or making a big deal of it, but that's the nature of following a six-month baseball season that lasts 162 games, right? You dig into these samples, you check in on what's going on, and it's just a, a good marker to have a discussion, right? Of course. So, and, you know, also it's it's only sort of doing it's like, our due diligence, yeah. right? If we're going to come on here and talk about, oh my God, you know, Brendan is going to, you know, quit every job that he has and go follow Nico Horner across the country. I thought about it. It feels a little disingenuous if we don't pop in and say, hey, he's in a bit of a slump, right? Um, overall, 281, 327. 396 is the slash line. Still an above average hitter at 102 WRC plus. He's got the eight home runs. One of the best defensive players in baseball. He's on pace for a four to four and a half ish win season. Yep. Incredible, right? Yeah. An incredible season. But this stretch has not been good. So I will put it to you. Uh, the I, I mean, what are you the, the foremost Nico Horner expert in I the am. in the country? Yeah. I don't know, yeah, but I think so. Um, what's, what's going, going on? on? Yeah. Yeah. What's so, going on? So he's been the, the most consistent player on the team the entire year. If you look at his splits by a monthly basis in his WRC plus and, and WOBA in April, 
Woba 309, May 309, June went off 366, July 315, August 311. Uh, this month it's flat out zero, like he has like no no base hits. Uh, so that's the extreme. But he's been consistent well before this this slump here. So the question is, what is going on, and is this something to be concerned about? So what's going on is he's becoming in this shorter sample hyper aggressive his chase rate has gone from around 31 percent upwards to almost 50 percent why is that happening i'm not sure i don't know if he got a little bit of a an itch with the power increase recently i don't know if it's a scouting report change i don't even know if it's random i don't know if there's some type of mechanical thing going on i have no idea with hitting it's really difficult to figure out what's going on because you don't you're not you're not privy to these like underlying metrics that we have for pitching in the public sphere at this point. Maybe in three four years, maybe even sooner, we'll be able to figure that out. But right now, like we have no idea. So I, I don't know what's going on with Nico. All I know is we see the outcomes, and the outcome is he's just swinging at worse pitches. That's kind of what it is, and he's not barreling up on pitches he was barreling up on before. He has no barrels in that stretch as well. So the question then goes, as I said earlier, will this continue? This is also perhaps part of the process, right? Uh, we talked about it with the younger guys in the past. We can t- extend it to Nico. Nico is still one of those guys going through his first full season. The overall numbers are still superb, as you just pointed out. He could very well finish the season with four and a half four. The discussions about him and a contract extension, it, unfortunately, it has aligned almost perfectly with this slump. So it does make for kind of an awkward discussion. But this type of hitting profile sometimes is susceptible to these stretches where you, you don't really rely so much on getting extra base hits. You rely on getting base hits and you rely on that versus maybe walking a lot. And Nico's profile right now is centered on getting a lot of base hits. Fortunately, he's good at doing that. In the discussion of a contract extension is not one of like you know 150 million. It's one of an average hitter who plays quality defense across multiple positions. And Nico still projects as that. And we still need to see Nico go through this month of September. If there's an extreme, like where he's just not hitting for the next four weeks, then of course the discussion is going to change. And of course, Jed is not going to be asked about extensions for Nico, but also he'll be asked, what is going on? With Nico. That's the worst case scenario. But for me right now, when I watch his at bats, which I'm dialed in, of course, on every single pitch, it does appear that he's hyper aggressive. And you did hear uh, JD in the broadcast over the weekend talk about him trying to swing at pitches earlier in the count. It's part of the process. He did have a few hard hit balls that were hit on the ground, scooped up. Uh, some almost borderline double plays because he hit those balls hard. I'm not concerned. Of course, I want to see success, and it's kind of annoying to have this happen right now, but I'm not concerned, Corey. Yeah, and I I think, you know, obviously you you made good points. I'll defer to uh, you on all things Nico. I've I've seen Brendan's apartment, and there's a film room, and the the only film is Nico. Yeah, I know. It's weird, right? Yeah. It is weird. Some would say it was weird. I I would say it was weird if I hadn't had one for you know five years dedicated I to John Lester. I was going to say, so, yeah. I yeah. mean, don't call me weird when you have that. Listen, we uh, you know you have to have a film room <laughs> if you're going to be an expert in a player. You have to break. You have, you to. have to break down. You film. have to. For you, it's memes, but yeah. 
Right. Uh, well, yeah, now that John's uh, gone, I've moved on to just joke tweets, basically. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I think, you know, something, again, to to remember about Nico. Nico's, of course, not a rookie, but this is his first full season, you know, getting towards a, a full body of work. You know, he's not going to play 162 games, but he's going to play a lot of games. Previously, 2019 through 2021, 20 games, 48 games, 44 games. So, stuff like this is going to happen. I think you're, you're dead on, you know, talking about a guy with his profile, right? Um, especially in stretches like this, some guys that have more power or things like that, they can buoy those numbers a little bit, right? By just running into a couple extra base hits or, you know, slugging a little bit can kind of keep those numbers afloat a little better than uh, someone with Nico's profile. But, you know, also important to remember, like he's also still making adjustments right he's yeah. had he has eight home runs his previous career high was three in 2019 adjustment yeah and so to be able to do that to be able to kind of broaden your offensive game even if he's not becoming a completely different hitter right it's still very contact heavy you still expect him to be in high a high average hitter he is still at that point in his career he's 25. He's still transforming, right, into the player that he wants to be, the player that the Cubs want him to be, etc. And this is that first full year getting this many reps of trying to do all that. So a stretch, you know, where the numbers aren't really there, to be expected, right? To be expected. Uh, and he has yeah, that, he has that higher uh, floor because of that defense. That's where the value comes into play. And that's where I think some of the, you know, extension talk that we're seeing is being lifted up a little bit more because unlike someone we just talked about with Morel, who's going through defensive adjustments and having to go through different, perhaps throwing changes, mechanical changes, Nico is already a gold glove shortstop. He may win the gold glove, Corey, at shortstop this season. Right. Yeah. And I mean, you know, even like thinking of these two guys that we've talked about, just because they're in these stretches that, you know, kind of uh, warrant at least just asking, hey, what's going on? What can they change? What's driving this? You know, I I think the fact that we're in a position with these guys where they're, they're still you know, Nico is, is hovering, I guess, after a not great weekend, but you know, they're above league average hitters, right? Him and Morrell, like we could easily be in scenarios when like a lot of times, and this happens to the Cubs too, like you call guys up or you expect things of players, like they tank, right? That's not what we're talking about. Like this is a completely different conversation. If like Christopher Morrell's down to like a 75 WRC plus, right? Like that's not what's happening. What we're debating right now at least at this point is like how good can these guys be and how good can the finishes to their seasons be that's a that's a good problem and when you're like looking at a random 30 game sample like it's okay as long as they're able to identify the things and kind of work their way out of them but like I said it's just you know we 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 do like to touch on those things even if the ultimate conclusion is to say hey not a big deal don't worry about it here's what's happening it just you know don't want to do a disservice to when we do gush over these players if we just ignore uh you know I, 30 games I, I would use the word prolonged stretch right is that fair yeah yeah of you know struggles Good slumps, choice, yeah. whatever it is they happen right but that's what brendan is here to do and try to diagnose them right sometimes uh, and we'll get out of them so i i do want to ask you um about jeremiah estrada's outing on saturday 
uh, obviously, you know, you and Brian were freaking out, as was the rest of Cubs Twitter, about Estrada's first outing. Uh, what did you see in in his second outing? Uh, he does give up the run, a hit, and a walk, no strikeouts, just two-thirds of an inning, and it was 16 pitches. So, you know, again, we don't have the largest of samples to work with in terms of all of his data, but what did you see from one outing to the next? Yeah, the velocity was down. That's the biggest change. He was throwing 98 miles per hour in that debut, and then he was down to 95-96 against the Cardinals. So we've seen the velocity fluctuate recently. He has been sitting higher recently, but the majority of his outings are going to be towards that like 95-96 range. That was what was happening. But the first outing his debut when you saw the numbers come back the next day grading as an 80 out of 80 Eno Saris you know laughing at how crazy his numbers are the feature that defines those types of reactions the biggest one is that induced vertical break and fortunately that remained in his outing the velocity was down granted the spin rate was down by about 100 or 150 rpms granted that's that's not that crazy of a difference by the way but it's still you know it's a difference the ability for him to use that pitch and the rising action is significant and in fact i also thought the slider looked Decent. I also th- I, th- I thought the command needs to be improved, but I thought some of the sliders he spinned against the Cardinals were were better. It's part of the process. It's so early on, and it's not like when we're talking about Estrada, we're not talking about Estrada as the immediate Cubs closer. That's not the discussion. We're talking about Estrada as the first guy to come up through the system to break these pitch graders, to draw reactions from the very people who used and have developed and created these pitch graders are laughing at what he's doing to their system. That is significant. And he's still showcasing why those graders are reacting as such. So I I mean, you can be disappointed, I guess, if you want, but it's like a second outing and he has a lot more growing to go. If you assume as a fan that this is just how it's going to be, he's going to be this like lockdown guy here on out, look out, you know, the pitch lab and how to be, here we go. That's not, that's not, that's not reality. Like these guys have to go through these periods. I want all of the Cubs to be great immediately. <laughs> right that, away. Is, that is what I'm looking for. Yeah. Um, I want instant gratification. Um, last thing before we preview this upcoming series with the Reds, uh, just, you know, worth keeping track of, Brendan. I It seems as though the Cubs aren't going to do anything about it, at least for the rest of this season. Uh, but on Sunday, first baseman Matt Mervis for the Iowa Cubs joined Alexander Canario as the first Cubs minor leaguers with 30 home runs in a season since Chris Bryant in 2014. That coming again uh, from the voice of the Iowa Cubs, Alex Cohen. Mm -hmm. Mervis has 30 home runs this year, 37 doubles, 105 RBIs. I think it might even be more than that because I think he added an RBI later in the game on Sunday. Um, Yeah. He's just been really good. You know, we've talked about it. We've talked about the 40-man issue, the Rule 5 thing. You know, Mervis is not eligible for that, so that's one reason not to do it. And it it seems as though, Brendan, like they've just decided that, you know, these this month of of plate appearances, however they would come at the major league level, just are not 
their priority in I terms guess. of uh, dealing with the 40 man and those decisions that they have to make and kind of forcing their hand, I guess, on some of those issues. But it's definitely something worth keeping an eye on as you have a left-hander uh, that is just mashing on offense. Um, Mash Mervis. Definitely something to to be keeping track of. Uh, how that, you know, we talked about sort of your your confidence level in someone like Christopher Morell and like how that factors in. And, you know, if Mervis doesn't get up here and he just maybe uh, has some time with, you know, in big league camp in um, – spring training, uh, you know, and, and whatever he does in the fall, like, you know, what your confidence would be in terms of him being a part of a uh, first place platoon or, you know, a bench role, I, I don't know. But these are some pretty serious numbers yeah. that he's putting up of the, on the offensive side of the yeah. ball in the minor leagues. I also want to point out, just because we've been keeping track of it, also on Sunday for Iowa, five innings, five hits, one run, and no earned runs allowed for Caleb Killian. Another note from Alex Cohn at Voice of Cohn on Twitter. That is Caleb's seventh start this year with Iowa of one or fewer earned runs allowed. So it's been up and down. There's definitely been some clunkers in there, but he has also tossed uh, quite a handful of really nice games. Yeah. So another in the, uh, you know, where that, where things land in terms of how you feel about them on the year and how you feel about them going into next year, I don't know. Sometimes, Brendan, I'm glad I'm not the one that gets paid to figure this stuff out because it's a little confusing, you know, and to have to, <laughs> if it were my job to be sure of some of this stuff, right, I you'd don't think I would handle it yeah. very well. Yeah, yeah. You, you think I would get fired? Yeah, I think I would get fired too. Are you kidding me? Oh. No doubt about it. We're destined to do this together, Corey, on this podcast. I think generally over the years, we've probably been more correct than incorrect. I think so. We've been wrong, but you're right. We've had some good we successes. Have been wrong. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and also, I mean, at the end, you know, I don't know who's complaining, but uh, we would have like a 45-year-old John Lester towing the rubber. Which I'm fine day. with. I'm totally yeah. fine with that. As long as he wanted to keep doing it and collecting the check, we'd yeah. be running. Yeah. <laughs> be running All right, John, there, opening so. day starter 2024. <laughs> Here we go. Well, you know, let's not get crazy. Well, That's is this crazy? I, I mean, because it's disrespectful to Shohei Otani. He deserves oh, to start Don't even day, get me going you know? on that. Yeah. Oh, man, it's going to be a crazy offseason. All right. I hope. I hope so too, man. All right. Uh, so let's preview this upcoming series against the Cincinnati Reds. So off day Monday, we have a three-game set starting Tuesday at beautiful, historic Wrigley Field. Wayne Miley coming back, Corey, from the injured list. Miley, short season, 1-0, 2.84 ERA. He'll be facing the Reds. Dunn, who is 1-2, a 4.63 ERA. That game starts at 640, then another 640 start time on Wednesday. Cubs still figuring out what to do with their rotation. They have not announced a starter, but Mike Miner for Cincinnati will be pitching that night. He's 3-10, a rough 5.98 ERA. Still same discussion. No starter announced on Thursday. Stay tuned on that. Cincinnati will be throwing... uh, Sessa, who is 3-2 with a 5.18 DRA. That's an afternoon start time to finish off this three-game set of your traditional 1.20 p.m. variety. So what I'm looking for is Nico breaking out of that slump. I'm looking at Christopher Morell 
maybe we'll get an update on Patrick Wisdom, his timeline of return. I'm thinking with Morel where he'll play once Wisdom is back. We've seen a lot of third base recently, but you can imagine Wisdom coming back, taking third base, maybe Morel going back to center field a little bit more often. Uh, also, Willis Contreras has not played the last few games here, four games in a row. He sat out. How is that ankle doing? Once he comes back, what does that mean for the DH spot? Maybe Morel gets time at second base. Maybe Madrigal gets moved to second base. And then getting some better outings from some bullpen guys. We've seen a lot of multi-inning chances. And I don't I know where you kind of stand on that, Corey. And this is a discussion for a different day, but that's still a point of emphasis by this coaching staff to see who can go multiple innings. So that'll be another feature to follow, like Yulman and Rowan Wick and Brandon Hughes, how often they're using those multi-inning sets. Yeah, and, uh, you know, just generally want to see this team get back to winning some games, right? We know the results aren't super important in the grand scheme of things, uh, but I did I did like that stretch when we were feeling like, okay, this team is kind yeah. of playing better baseball, right? Like, Winning feels good. Yeah, and, you know, now they've lost a few series in a row. We're kind of feeling the opposite. Back to reality. Um, yeah, back to reality. So just, you know, see things trending in a, a better direction, I think, is, is really just what you want to see um and yeah i think that's uh i think that's about what we have for you so uh enjoy your off day on monday of course tune in to cody luke uh it'll be cody and luke you know with your pre and post game needs this week ryan uh our guy ryan herrera should be at beautiful historic wrigley field covering the team and answering getting all of the answers to the never-ending questions that we have about the Chicago yes. Cubs roster that you have, yes. Yeah. Um, and Brendan and I will be back with you after the Cubs finish up this series with the Reds. As always, we appreciate your support for CHGO and the CHGO Cubs podcast. Of course, the best way to do that is by signing up with PointsBet using code CHGO. Thank you again for listening to the CHGO Cubs podcast. And as always, go Cubs.